check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Well, I have a treat for you today. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Gina of Get Literacy on Instagram. Not only are you going to hear how she has implemented the science of reading in her first grade classroom, you're also going to learn how she got help for her daughter with dyslexia. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to be talking to Gina from Get Literacy on Instagram. She has some hilarious reels out there that you really need to check out when you're learning to move from balanced to structured literacy. And she is a classroom teacher. And she also has a daughter with dyslexia and just has a really unique perspective for us. So I'm excited to have her here. Welcome, Gina. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. I'm so excited to be here. So before we got live here, you just told me that you're kind of a latecomer to teaching, that you went back to school. Can you tell us about your um, education and, and how you got into teaching? Yes, absolutely. So out of high school, I wanted to be a teacher and um, it just didn't fall into the cards. Once my son was full-time in kindergarten, my husband was like, this is the time if you want to go back to school, did it, do it. So I went back to school full-time and got my graduate degree in education. So I have been a teacher for three years. Okay, awesome. Um, Yeah. So, um, and you're teaching first grade, right? I'm teaching first grade currently, yep. And tell me about your move from balanced literacy to more of a structured approach in the science of reading. In school, I was taught balanced literacy, and the first district I worked at was a balanced literacy district. Uh, Lots of running records. I had my finger on the pulse of their reading. I had their instructional level, their hard level, and their independent level three times a year, um, MSV. And as my daughter, we were noticing problems with her reading and writing and having trouble in school. I knew something was wrong, but I never felt educated in dyslexia, but I knew I could feel it in your mom heart. You know, something's mm-hmm. wrong here. Now I'm a teacher. I'm seeing what my third grader is doing. I'm seeing what my students are doing. And now I have a sixth grader. She was in sixth grade at the time. Like, something's not right. So we went through the whole process. We took her to a neuropsychologist. She got diagnosed with new dyslexia. And in that time frame, it was COVID, and I started the Instagram page mm-hmm. to um, read stories to my students and my friends' kids live. I just thought I love picture books. But at that time, I was trying to look into dyslexia, teach myself as much as I could. I fell down the science of reading rabbit hole. And as soon as I went down that road, there was no looking back. I did change districts. I am currently in my home district, and they I am allowed to implement what I feel is right. It isn't such a strict balanced literacy district. What would you say has been your biggest shift in, I mean, you haven't been teaching very long, but just in these few years, what, what was your biggest shift once you began to understand the current research? I definitely, um, got rid of leveled books. They were gone immediately. We used decodables. I put a sound wall up. I orthographically map words with my students in small groups and we do a lot about syllable work. So I feel like it was really just going into a very explicit and systematic approach to how I was teaching them. Our school already uses Hegarty, so we had that mm-hmm. phonological piece in daily. So I didn't mm-hmm. have to do too much supplement there. But it was really just adding in, just going back to 
this is the phonics skill we're working on. I'm not going to overload you with doing the three cueing system and Mm -hmm. we're not doing that here anymore. We're done looking at the picture to help us. We're done looking at the first letter. We are going to learn the skill. We're going to learn the sound. We're going to talk about it. So for someone who is in balance literacy and nervous about <laughs> shifting over, like I think Dakota, will, I'll just tell you all the mm-hmm. things that I thought. <laughs> Decodable books are boring um, mm-hmm. and there, there's really no work, room for comprehension there. And they're not going to learn to read fluently because those books are so like stodgy and, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't make sense. And <laughs> phonics, um, I don't want to do drill and kill. I want it to be meaningful. Like, how would you respond based on your experience right now with how things are going with your students? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say... Th- My goal, too, is for comprehension with my students. But how can they comprehend if they can't read? Decodable books. I've read some level readers that are some snoozers, too. So I don't want (laughs) to. That's true. (laughs) So don't come at me with that, first of all. That's what I would say. But no, seriously, it's the decodable reader is is not the end game. They're not going to be reading decodable readers forever. These are to give our students the confidence how excited my students are when they can read this book because it's the words they know. It's the skills I taught them. And they then their confidence builds and then their fluency gets better. And it's going through our systematic, we're doing our phonic skills, and then they can read a leveled reader. Their any book they want. You know, it it is not I, I don't feel I do have people that have said that and there are teachers that still go by the level. Well we need to know our students level. And I feel as if if that's something you still have to do in your district, which I do understand coming from a very mm-hmm. strict district, I still think you can supplement in your small groups. Find yeah. a decodable that they can read. There's so many online. Do you have a time in the year that have you had your kids kind of transition out of decodables once they're at a certain level or has that not really been the case yet for you? Not I know the after case. COVID it's been hard. Yeah. I I definitely don't feel that um and especially with first grade, I feel like there is plenty to work mm-hmm. on. I do mm-hmm. have some readers that are don't need the decodables, so we're doing more syllabic work and okay. um, morphology. They mm-hmm. they're cool. at the point where I can do that kind of stuff with them. So I'm still finding decodables or text that support what they need mm-hmm. without labeling them a letter. So how do you approach whole group versus small group? Do you do on level whole group and then differentiate in small groups, or do you just use small groups for your phonics instruction? I do both because we do have a phonics skill that we have to work on according to my first grade team in the district. So we're all like this week is long you. So Mm -hmm. I introduce it whole group. We do some orthographic mapping whole group of some um, Mm -hmm. irregular words or high frequency words. But then I differentiate when we get in our small group. Mm -hmm. So then I work on the phonics skill that those groups need plus Mm -hmm. the skill that we're working on the week for first grade. So can you talk to us a little bit about switching gears here now to your daughter? Sure. Mm-hmm. Tell us about, you know, how you noticed that, how early you noticed that things were wrong and um, your experience in finding help for her. Okay. So she was always in reading support since first grade. So we did know that she was a lower reader, a struggling reader. Um, and she graduated from reading support somewhere in the, it was, I think, fourth grade. And she was doing good. You know, I was always told, she's such a sweet girl. And yeah, we know. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. She's so helpful. Great. It was sixth (laughs) grade when it really hit home. And I think it was because I was teaching. 
I had the education fresh out of school. My son was in third grade and I was teaching third grade and I'm looking and I'm like, something's wrong here. She's in sixth grade and I'm comparing Mm -hmm. and I go, this is, this is not right. This is not okay. What's going on? And I emailed the teachers. Oh, she's so nice. She's doing well. She's trying her best. And I finally kind of lost it and was just like, Mm -hmm. I know she's awesome. She can't read. Like I'm done being told how awesome my daughter is. I see it every single day. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. We need to know what's going on. And then COVID happened. So it was it during that time we I finally took her to a neuropsychologist. I'm like, we, we have to take it outside. We have to figure out what's going on. So where do you find like, where do you find a neuropsychologist? Where do you even start for people who are in this situation? I, I Googled. And I mm-hmm. asked a lot of friends that either know therapists or are in the therapy industry. And a friend of mine is a therapist. And she said, this lady is great. Call her. So awesome. I okay. just was asking anybody who would listen. So we finally got in with her. And that testing is amazing. I wish they did that for, I, I mean, if it wasn't so expensive, I would do it just it would be so yeah. good to have that information on every child. So we got it. We found out everything. She was She's dyslexic. It was a mm-hmm. very classic. Her IQ is high, but, you know, it. all the testing showed she was dyslexic. So then I went to my friends that were reading specialists, and I'm thinking, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. What, what do we do from here? Like, it's, okay, the school knows. They can give her as much support as they can, but... I need to take, this needs to go further. And a friend of mine said, Orton Gillingham is like the best method for dyslexia. So then I started looking for tutors and that was Mm -hmm. very difficult in my area. I did find one. Um, Ironically, my mom's neighbor, she didn't even know that's what she did. And she was outside talking to her neighbors one day and they're like, well, that's what she does. She's an Orton Gillingham tutor. It really was like very serendipitous. So it, my daughter started working with her, and I was also working with the school, and I'm like, I'm just struggling with what are we supposed to do at the school? I'm so emotional about this. I know I'm a teacher, but I don't. I wasn't taught about dyslexia. I wasn't right. taught how to support this in this situation. Plus, she's sixth grade. I'm, I'm lower. I'm early mm-hmm. education, you know? And um, she goes, well, I'm an advocate, too. So that was, again, best money ever spent was to have her at those meetings. She oh, yeah. was able to stay tell us what to get in her 504 to and just as, so people know she does have a 504 because of another health issue so that actually really helped with making sure what was in her plan was what she needed health-wise plus spelling isn't used against her testing mm-hmm. she can be pulled all the things I started researching dyslexia to help my daughter and all these Instagram pages are coming up and I went down the science of reading rabbit hole and and I never looked back, and here I am. Here I am. That's so funny because um, most of the people I've interviewed so far, it's the same timeline, like mm-hmm. when the pandemic started. And for me, it was like 2019, 2020. Okay. It just happened to be yeah. like that same time. So what, can you point to any specific thing you read or saw that just turned the light on for you or just really got your attention? Yes. It was when I learned that or we are born to speak, not to read. I, it really resonated with me when I started learning about how the brain reads. Like, that's just my, my type A scientific mind, maybe, that just is like, wait, this makes sense. If our brain isn't wired to read, we have to teach our brain to read. And then when mm-hmm. I learned about 
orthographic mapping and the fact that, yes, we're visually inputting information mm-hmm. or reading, but that's not how we're processing it. And mm-hmm. then it made sense for dyslexia and the different parts of the brains that are working and how we can support our students. So teach so everyone can learn and um, learn to read. So that is really what hit home for me. And once I start understanding that and just having that sound wall up in my classroom for a month and teaching kids using mirrors and orthographically mapping words, I was just seeing my first graders do things that were just shocking. And their parents are emailing me saying, we were working on this and she ran to the mirror to make sure her mouth was making the right position. And, you know, she was thinking, wait, that is, that sounds the TH sound because my tongue is between my teeth and it's like yes they're getting it like it was so cool can you tell us a little bit about do you have like a a sound wall lesson every day or how do you fit that into your instruction and how it looks yes so um I took the tools for reading sound wall class so I have their sound wall so I use their um they have a book with a lesson and they have cards with all of it on the back so at the beginning of the year my sound wall is up I have it in the vowel valley and I have the consonants is in the articulation order and I put post-its over all of them so we haven't used yet that we haven't used yet yes so as we introduce one everybody gets a mirror I show the sound we talk about what our mouth is doing we talk about the sound we do some phonological awareness like where in the sound where in this word do you hear the sound Mm -hmm. um the whole thing I did you know this year I went and used tools for readings their scope and sequence Mm -hmm. I think now it kind of got off from what we were doing in the classroom so I'm learning that Mm -hmm. next year I will follow what I'm doing in the classroom instead of Mm -hmm. trying to do it that way the kids love it I had a little boy today who got up out of his seat and went over to the sound wall and I go where where are you going because you know you're teaching and he goes well I'm checking the sound I see he was trying to read the word wait and he goes he goes I don't know AI he goes, yes, I do. And he's over at the board. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's so great. It was just so, so cute. Great. It was so cute. Do they use it a lot for spelling too? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that is just awesome. You know, when you think, you said your daughter's doing Orton Gillingham. And mm-hmm. you know, we were just talking about this before we went on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, some people in the science of reading community criticize Orton Gillingham, which I can't quite follow exactly why. But <laughs> I think because there's not as much like specific research that says Orton Gillingham is superior and mm-hmm. a lot of reasons for that. One is that um, Orton Gillingham, for those who are listening, is not a program. It's an mm-hmm. approach. And there's a million, not a million, but a lot of different approaches for Orton Gillingham. Mm-hmm. Barton, there's IMSC, oh, right. there's a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to test because there's just so many factors. And so there are a lot of people who are critical about it. But I always find in those discussions, the people who chime in to talk about it, Mm-hmm. are not the tutors. It's the parents. The parents chime right. in and say, this is what finally got my dyslexic son or daughter to read. So I just find right. that interesting. Not that we should necessarily base what we do on testimonials, but it's just, to me, that's just very, it says something. It does. I've seen it work. I mean, my daughter is reading. She's on grade level. She got into on honors. Grade level. Oh yeah. She's <gasps> getting, she got into honors math next year, like for high school. She's, she's doing like, she's doing fantastic. It was like, if she just needed that OG just to, I don't know, give her a little push. Like, okay, we got it. We're going. And for those who are listening, we did have, I did have an episode about Orton Gillingham a few weeks ago. Well, this is going to come out in the summer, but I did have one um, in the spring. We're recording this in the spring now, but um, 
when you're listening in the summer, go back a bunch of episodes. I don't have the number, but um, I did talk a little bit about Orrin Gillingham and what that means and what's that all about. Um, can you talk to us about your daughter's, how, she's, how she feels about herself now, her confidence? Like, what have you noticed? As she's, and has she articulated, now I get it? Or, you know, how's, what's that been like? Oh, absolutely. Um, the that sixth grade year, again, it was just such a terrible time for her. She mm-hmm. was also... Um, taking there I forget what um world history class she was taking so you know they're learning me- these crazy big Greek words and stuff yes and my son is doing that right now yes it's crazy yeah. all the stuff it's they're crazy. learning about world history like you right. remember any of this <laughs> exactly but on top of that imagine not being able to read I mean she could read but she was not reading at the level she should have been for mm-hmm. this kind of thing, she can't write. She would sit at the computer because that they were making a slide or something, and it was so odd to watch someone. She could verbally tell me absolutely mm-hmm. everything. She could not even start to type. It was as if somebody was like holding her, like Aww. physically, um, and just the tears. And it would take an hour just for her to get a sentence. It was, it was. Heart-wrenching. It was just like, this is not right. Something's not right. What is going on? And I, like I said, we could read her book and she could verbally tell me everything. She could tell me, we do, we travel to the national parks. That's kind of like our family thing. Oh, cool. And we do the junior ranger programs. If anybody's mm-hmm. familiar, they're the programs the national parks do. But there's so much history in those programs and they have so many cool lessons and they learn so much. She could tell me about some rock we saw at Yellowstone and the history of it because she was told it. Okay. She has a great memory. She just couldn't get it on paper, and she couldn't take it off the paper. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, she just comes in. She, I used to have to sit with her to do her homework. Mm-hmm. I don't even see her. She goes upstairs. She's just doing what eighth grade, the confidence should be. Go upstairs, do her homework. Doesn't need it checked. That's awesome and amazing and really, I'm sure, encouraging for people who are listening who mm-hmm. are in the hard part right now. So what would you have to say to somebody? First of all, let's talk the dyslexia piece. What would you say to a parent who came to you and said, I think my child has dyslexia. What do I do? What would, you, what would be their first step? That, to me, I mean, the best thing we did was take her to the neuropsychologist and get a full mm-hmm. evaluation. If you can do it, it, it was so incredibly helpful. Um, I loved the information we got from it, and it helped us really. It was very very nitpicky on how her brain works and really able mm-hmm. to help her. Also, if, I mean, I, I'm an OG advocate because <laughs> I've seen mm-hmm. it work. I would find um, possibly an OG tutor or at least a dyslexia, you know, a specialist or advocate that you mm-hmm. can talk to and that can support you into going to the school about what, making sure your child has the supports they need at school. Um, as parents, we can get really emotional, even if yes. we are, even if we're teachers and we're supposed to know when it comes to your kid that goes out to the window when you sit in a meeting with people telling you what's wrong with your child. So yeah. the, the greatest thing was having somebody next to me who was speaking, who knew the laws, knew what the school had to do, knew what we needed to do for her. So I would really suggest that. Um, the Overcoming Dyslexia book is great. I honestly hasn't haven't gotten right all the way through it, but from the parts that I've read was amazing. But really just finding, I would say, an advocate as some, somebody who can support you, who knows, that can speak for you and your child when you're 
starting to get the supports needed. Right there, I'll just plug the book, um, Dyslexia Advocate. Did you ever read that one? You just, or you posted it, and I have not read it. I put it in my Amazon cart (laughs) immediately when I posted it. Yeah, that's a really good book because it's by a dyslexia advocate. I I think her name is Kelly Sandman. I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she walks you through all of that, like how to, what to do at an IEP meeting. Like, you know, anyway, it's a lot of step-by-step. And um, I think it would be really good for parents that are just trying to get some, a starting place. Awesome. Um, I think um, hearing from you about the success your daughter's had is just super encouraging for parents whose kids are really struggling. And that, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, I hope so. What would you say to someone who is a classroom teacher and they, they're starting to hear about the science of reading and they want to make some changes? Are there any specific resources you would recommend, first of all? And then what would be like a first step okay. in making a change? Yes, I, I thought about this because I thought about how I dove into this deep end, never looked back. And I'm thinking, we're busy. I was lucky my kids were older so I can sit and read a book at night. I don't have little ones anymore. I really liked, I've read a lot of books. I've uh, equipped for reading success has a lot of phonological awareness exercise in it, but I really think shifting the balance by um, Birkins and Yates was good because it was an easy read. It gives you, there's six ways to bring science of literacy into your classroom. I think they, they take it with the approach that yes, some of us still have to be in a balanced literacy district. Like, so these are ways you can implement it in. If you don't want to read anything, there's plenty of blog posts out there. You could look at it, but I do believe that there's a lot of people now, you know, science of reading is getting to the point where you have to be careful. You have to make sure you're reading somebody. I don't want to say an expert because I'm, but somebody who, I don't know how to say (laughs) Right. Yeah. You have to be, we were just talking about this, that this is a, science of reading is something that people are glomming onto just yes. as with anything that's popular right. and so um you do have to be careful but um Birkins and Yates have a really great book for people moving out in fact they're actually going to be in this um podcast series so they'll be oh, coming good, up good. um in a in a week or two probably after this episode airs oh awesome um, so we'll get to hear directly from them any other books or, re- or resources you'd recommend yes um I also am currently almost done with reading for life by um, Lynn Stone. That is fantastic. A great read. And the two books that, or the three books that come to school with me every day and come home every day are the Uncovering the Logic of English, the ABC and All Their Tricks, and Speech to Print. I am constantly resourcing those for word lists, for making sure that I'm teaching the phonics skills right, for the rules. So they're more just not things that I've read, but I flip through them and teachers come in and ask me a question. I go, oh, yeah, that one, that rule is da, 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 da. Awesome. <laughs> of that. Well, we'll put all those, we'll put all those in okay, the show yeah. notes for everybody. And so um, any, like, any last tips or, like, a, a starting point when you're just trying to start to move to structural literacy? Any recommendations? Yes. Do, any, any small improvement you're going to make is going to be a huge benefit to your students or your child. Don't feel like you need to go in and jump right in. If right now, this year or next year, all you can tackle is you are going to um, connect speech to print for your students by orthographically mapping and just focus on that. Or you're just going to do phonological awareness and make sure you get that into your small group. Or your your one thing this year is going to be decodable readers. So I feel don't overwhelm yourself and just know that if you're – my principal tells me all the time, if you're thinking of doing better, you're already doing better. 
because mm -hmm. you're wor you're concerned. You want to do it. So your kids are going to benefit from any little thing that you decide to do, even if it's once a month, once a school year, you're going to implement something. But And there are people on social media that want to help. People ask me questions all the time. I try to answer as much as I can. So feel free to ask. You know, we're all learning and be open minded. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> Great. It is. It is hard because it's hard to like, you were only in it for a little while. So mm -hmm. that was good for you. Right. Um, other people I know, like myself and plenty of other people mm -hmm. that are offended um, by science of reading um, claims, especially uh, I should just say this. Savannah and I talked about this a few weeks oh. ago, but um, the, the, the Reading for Life book by Lynn Stone is excellent, but not for someone who's just getting started because she's pretty snarky about balance literacy. <laughs> I like her humor. Her humor is like mine. So, I <laughs> Yeah, no. And, and speaking of that, that would be a good transition now to talk about your Instagram. Tell us what you're yeah. doing with your Instagram um, account, Get Literacy. It's get underscore literacy. Yeah, I wanted it to be get lit, but... <laughs> <laughs> that, that was taken for some reason already. Um, so Get Literacy, like I said, started as just a place. I love picture books. That's like another thing that I just love. There's so much we can learn from picture books at any age. So I was just doing it as a space to like, this is a great book I found. And I'm going to do a live read aloud so my students could join in because it was COVID. We were virtual, but my friends' kids could join. But as I went down the science of reading rabbit hole, I was like, listen to this, what I just learned. And they're saying mm -hmm. this. So I started posting what I was learning. I definitely feel like learning and unlearning is hard. It's scary. Let's have some fun. So I just want people, I, I want to help anybody I can. I want to encourage parents that have struggling readers. I've been at that end of it. Now I'm at the teaching end. I feel your pain. I've been there. And if I can just reach a couple people by helping them with their child or their students or their classroom. I, that's, that's all I need. So uh, well, in the show notes, we'll um, link to your Instagram account so everybody can Thank follow you there. And mm -hmm. um, also all your recommendations and Perfect. people may reach out to you on your Instagram to talk to you about some of the things you shared today. That's great. But thank you so much, Gina. It was really nice to oh. have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening today. You can find everything that Gina and I shared, all of our links at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 85. See you next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching. 